Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 77 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to give you some tips on how to qualify for a Boston Marathon. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 77 hi letty and hi runners. ryan and runners we're Letty and Ryan, and we do weekly podcasts on all things related to running. We try to bring the experts to you and give you information that can help you become a better runner and stay motivated with your running. We come to you from a small closet in Florida. It's not a closet. It's a studio, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> can you touch the wall? Yep. <laughs> all right. It's a closet that was converted into a studio. We actually have sound panels and everything here. I can almost touch both walls at the same time. The studios need to be small. <laughs> anyway. Are you excited about today's episode? Of course. I always am. You were probably falling into this category before. You wanted to qualify for Boston. Yes. And this episode was actually inspired by one of our listeners, John Sparks. Huge shout out to him. He's a runner who I met online in the Berlin Marathon Running Group. I didn't get to meet him in person, but I kept in touch with him a little bit. And he gave us a recap, too, of his Berlin experience. And I think he's actually going to Boston next year. He reached out to us and said, why don't you guys do a podcast where you give out some tips on how to qualify for Boston? So, la voila, we listen to our listeners. And here we are. So, Letty, for the people that don't know why people focus on runners focus on boston so much maybe you could elaborate yeah right so the boston marathon is the oldest and most prestigious marathon that you actually can run and have to qualify for so it's basically like the mecca of running so maybe the new runners can look into it a little bit and maybe they'll get excited to also strive to qualify and run boston Yes, and so the ways into it is qualifying by time. It has difficult qualifying standards that you can uh, find online. I can actually link them. So just to give you an example, women between the ages of 18 and 34 have to run the Boston Marathon in three hours and 30 minutes. For men, that is three hours. So that's a pretty fast pace for women. That's right around eight-minute pace. I think for men, it's um faster than seven-minute pace at that age. What is it for me? So you are 31. I'm kidding. <laughs> I wish. You are in the age group of 40 to 44. So you actually get to run it in three hours and 40 minutes. That's a, that's a quite a. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me go back. That's for women. So I was going to say for you, you have to run it in three hours and 10 minutes. Oh, that's, that's, that's only 10. I was like, 
like three hours to three hours and 40 minutes. That's a huge jump. Yeah. But I mean, a disc is so basically still really fast. It's still really fast. I have yeah. to be faster than you. If you're 50, you can do it in 325. That's still pretty fast. <laughs> All right. How about when you're 60, you can run it in three hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> 20 years. You got a little time to go with that. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, you keep thinking as a runner, you're going to age into it. When I was 29, my qualifying time was the same as when I was 39, because there are so many more applicants trying to run Boston that the times just kept going lower and lower. It's like running inflation. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So are you giving your own tips in that too? or? Well, I got together with Dave Levine, who's the head coach of the LA Roadrunners, and we came up with some tips together. So I'm going to announce what the tips are, and he's going to elaborate on them because okay. he has a ton of expertise. He's been coaching for a really long time. So I, I'll predict, right, I guess? Yes. Do your predictions of what the <laughs> tips could be. I'll say um, some tips could be... You know, find a good coach. Warm, warm. Warm. <laughs> Very warm. Um, I would also say make sure you can dedicate enough time. Very warm. And then I would say focus, probably focus on your nutrition and your health, I guess, would be the the big ones for me, I would think. Because probably a lot of people end up having injuries that prevent them from maybe getting to their, you know, the speed that they can achieve. Very good, Ryan. You um, have been around... For long enough, maybe you should start training for a marathon because no. <laughs> you, can, you can basically tell our listeners already what some of the tips are going to be. But yeah, so basically, those are some of the tips and we'll sum them up after we play our conversation with David Levine. You want to just hop right into that interview? Uh, sure. All right, let's do that. All right, so I'm here with David Levine. Welcome back, David. Hi, thank you. David, we've had you on um, a few months ago, actually maybe a year ago, and you're a running mm -hmm. coach, you're the head coach of the LA Roadrunners, but for mm -hmm. those people who have not heard your previous episode, could you just do a brief introduction about yourself, how you started running, and um, level of expertise? Oh, you know, you know the funny thing is, is, I've always said that, you know, as soon as a coach thinks that they know everything... They really don't know anything because there's so much new information that's coming up all the time. So I don't profess to really know anything because I like to think of myself as a good growing coach. But um, I'm a USA track and field level two coach, USA triathlon level two coach. Um, I am I an Ironman U coach. Uh, all these certifications, Roadrunner Club of America level one. That's pretty much me. All right. And you've recently become the LA Roadrunners uh, head coach, right? Uh, yeah, the LA Marathon's official training program. Yeah, I am their coach. You know, you really can't coach that many people. I, I love one-on-one. -on -one. I, lo I, 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 I unfortunately had to, you know, uh, part with some of my private clients because you just can't do both. Um, you know, the, anyone who signs up for the LA Marathon I think we have about 4,000 people that indirectly download, I kind of coach, download my schedule from the LA Marathon website. And those are my schedules. Yeah. And we've had you on before in the previous episode where we talked about how running in groups and group coaching can work. 
So I'm going to mm-hmm. link that episode in our show notes. And um, we asked you to come back today because we wanted to talk about the topic of qualifying for our Boston Marathon and maybe mention some tips of how a person can get closer to their goal if that's their goal to qualify for a Boston So we wanted to start with our first tip and have you talk about our number one tip, setting expectations and having realistic goals. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because as we are all different, our times can be different. So when we start thinking about qualifying for Boston, uh, how realistic is it for everybody to qualify for Boston? Well, you know, I mean, it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher and more and more people are finding downhill courses that are faster and cooler days and all that. So, um, you know, it's difficult to say. I don't know the exact percentage of people who try to get into Boston and those who do. Um, there is a fair there. There is the ability for growth. There is a, for some people, there's the ability to for more, enormous growth, you know, Um It's not beyond most people's ability to qualify for Boston. The question is, is do you have the time to do what it will take? Do you have not so much even the strength, although there are a lot of people that um, um, may be uh, carrying extra weight, may not have perfect alignment. So there are more tendon, the greater tendencies for injury, but they can work with that. They can get over that. So there are a lot of things that we can, we can overcome and get better with. I think there's room for growth for everyone. There's a possibility for everybody, uh, for something, for more. So we'll leave it at that. Okay. Awesome. So then let's go into tip number two, and you've alluded to that. It's making that commitment. So what are the things we have to uh, take into consideration when we do that commitment? You've mentioned time, I'm assuming family, work, social life, other hobbies. Um, How much time do we need to train? And um, what are the sacrifices that you think people need to be able to make? Well, everything has to be a balance, right? I mean, you do need to sleep. You do, most of us need to go to work or deal with our children or whatever it is that we're dealing with. Um, we need to get dressed in the morning. We need to shower. We need that there are all these things that are just normal life you need to do. They take up time. You only have 24 hours a day. In terms of commitment, you know, you, it, it, some people just can't have that commitment. You can't quit your job. You can't leave your family. You can't go homeless because you don't need a job, right? Um, there is that issue, you know? Um, now, can all of us get up to 140 miles a week just physically? No. Most of us, I had one woman was really good at 80 miles. She, a Boston qualified with 80 miles every, this was her. And she was great. When she went to 90 miles, I cautioned her and I said, well, I'll give you a schedule at 90, but I'm not sure about it. Sure enough, she, did, she didn't do as well. She was like 10 minutes slower because she was doing too much now. So there is that balance that, you know, we can do, we can't do. Um, you have to find your peak ability and, and go to that. Yeah, thank you. That's really great information. So let's move on. Tip number three, how to run slow to be faster and what you, and what you think about that. Mm-hmm. Most people don't train effectively. They train too fast. I know that sounds really strange. 
most people push themselves too hard. They train, um, and, and we can go into this one at great length, but I won't. Um, they just train too fast. They need you, you get the same gains. This is where pro athletes train. You get the same gains from going easy, slower than marathon race pace, like a minute to a minute and a half slower than marathon race pace. Then you, you get the same result as marathon race pace, the same physiological, neurological benefits, right? And you have less risk of injury. So if you had greater risk of injury and the same benefits, why not go slower to begin with? Also, as you're training, your run, your long run especially, goes longer and longer and longer and longer, your heart rate is going up and up and up and up and up and up as it does on any marathon or any long run um, because of dehydration and fatigue, right? So as your heart rate is going up and up and up, you may be going the same pace or even slower, but your heart rate is too high to get those aerobic, fat-burning, what we call endurance benefits, that's probably the biggest mistake most people make is they start too fast. They end up with their heart rate too high. It's all about heart rate. Your, your body doesn't know your watch. Your watch is on your wrist. It doesn't, it's not connected really. I know it may be able to tell you your heart rate, but it, it, it's not a really good indicator of what your body is doing, your heart rate. That's what your body is doing. It's using more glycogen with a higher heart rate using less glycogen with a lower heart rate. And all right, I'm talking too much about that. But um, that's probably the biggest mistake people make, just training too fast. Um, 80% um, of your runs, probably minimally, um, minimally uh, 80% of your runs need to be that slow, you know, a lot of people say they can't go that slow because they don't have the slow twitch muscle fibers engaged or recruited. They're not functioning. They're dormant to go that slow. So for those people, you can do a run walk to slowly engage those slow twitch muscle fibers so you can go slower. That's a real problem. People can't go slow enough to be at a proper training level. Now, on the other hand, when you recruit more muscles, you know, keep in mind over 50% of your muscles are dormant because if they weren't, you'd be like eating constantly. You'd have to feed that muscle movement. All right. So um, most of your muscles are dormant to engage, to recruit, to, to, to recruit those muscles. So they're no longer dormant. Um, you need to use those muscles. But it's a catch 22. How do you use the muscles that are dormant unless you can use those muscles, but they're dormant so you can't go that slow? So walking to from for a slowly build up from a walk to a jog to a run, that's going to slowly start to recruit those dormant muscles. And you get stronger because you have more muscles. That's one way to get stronger. Bodybuilding is one way. Um, recruiting dormant muscles is another it's really during recovery where you have the greatest gain. It's like bodybuilding. You don't gain from bodybuilding, right? You're not going to build your bicep from doing this. You're going to build your bicep after you do this during recovery period. And it's the same thing with all those facets, the physiological and neurological elements to running. It's recovery is where you get the, the gain. Sleep 
is where you have the greatest gains maybe in running. Thank you. Um, so let's move on to number four. And mm-hmm. you've also talked about that a little bit earlier, how you know, we have to pick a course that works with our strength. And most of us are normal people. Gravity helps us go faster because what goes up must come down. And uh, so you've mentioned that nowadays it's so easy to find these series of uh, downhill courses, which makes it harder to um, qualify for Boston because now more people are able to use these courses for their advantages. But not everybody does great on downhill courses. So What are some other things you think about or you should think about when you think about a course that's ideal for you to qualify for Boston? Yeah. Um, Well, before I get into that, let me just say one thing about downhill courses. Most people maintain their normal stride when they go run downhill. And the problem is, is when you maintain your normal stride, you're you're going down you're falling farther so every step you're falling farther down this hill right so it's way more pounding just shorten quick in your stride don't even push off at all just pick up and put down your feet way quicker that's all you need to do enough of that but um so what should you consider about a course um i've always said heat hills and headwinds are the three H's from hell for us runners. Um, Heat, hills, headwinds, and avoid all three as best you can, unless it's a downhill. You want more of a downhill. You want a cooler day. The warmer it is or the extreme colder it is, um, like Alaska's freezing, you know, um, raise your heart rate because you're warming your body up or you're cooling your body up. And our bodies are amazing in the ability that think of a car, your car is a water pump. The water pump pumps water toward the radiator um, that cools the car engine. Well, our pump is our heart. The water is our blood. And we pump blood to all the extremities like your epidermal layer of your skin. And we lose heat that way. Our heart can speed up unlike the, the water pump of a car. The problem is, is when it's hot, your heart rate will be higher because you're more efficient at cooling yourself than even a car. The same system. The problem is, is every time your heart rate goes up, your glycogen consumption goes down. You're using more and more glycogen because your heart rate is higher. So you want to pick a cooler day, a cooler climate, but not too cold because then your heart rate's higher again to warm your body. So there's temperature as a factor. You know, you probably want to pick a course that doesn't have a lot of elevation. Um, If you live at, like I do, I live at like sea level almost. Um, You know, if the the great thing is if you live between six and 7,000 feet of elevation, you get more red blood cells. That's considered the optimal elevation to live at, not necessarily train at. But people who live at six, 7,000 feet, pro athletes, well, they say live high, they do six, 7,000 feet, but they'll train low. They'll go down, you know, for speed work. You're not going to be as fast at a high elevation as you're going to be at like sea level. So they'll drive down the mountain to do a lot of their training for their speed work, especially. 
they'll find a high school track down at the bottom of the mountain, you know, to do track work. Um, so elevation is a factor. Um, you don't want to go too high for race day, but if you live high, great, you're, you're better off top of the mountain, six, 7,000 feet. Um, what other tips can, I think that's, that's, the, those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. You want to train in an environment that you're going to be running in. Um, this is not the best, obviously, environment to run in for a BQ, but if you're going to be in a hot race, you want to go out in the desert and train in the heat. Um, there are people who train for desert races in their sauna. They'll either set up a treadmill in the sauna or they'll just run in place in a sauna to get ready for races like Badwater, which is in the desert, 120, 130 degrees. They run it in the summer. You know, that's not a race to have a BQ on, but um, I just mentioned that in terms of training and acclimating yourself to the environment that you're going to be in. That's the best way to do it. All right. Those are some really great tips um, to consider, and we'll sum them up later for our uh, listeners to have. So Got then uh, let's move into number five. What do you suggest to runners that come to you and say, hey, David, I want to commit to qualify for Boston. What do I need to change about my nutrition? What's your advice on um, that? Um, well, you know, get rid of all fried food right off the bat, just get rid of all fried food. It's heavy. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to clog your veins and arteries um, long down the road. You won't be as fast. Um, you'll die younger. Um, you know, little things like dying younger. Um, you know, don't, I, in the United States, I hate to say this, we are so flooded with sugar. I actually, I kid you not, I, I looked at a box of salt just a generic box of salt. And the first ingredient was a type of sugar in the salt. It was just <laughs> salt. We, not all salt is to, includes sugar, but it's unbelievable the volume of sugar we have in our, our everything. Um, it spikes dopamine levels, which generate the pleasure centers of your brain. So it makes it more exciting as a food, sugar, you know, cookies, cake, candy. That's why we eat those things as they stimulate dopamine, which is what the runner's high is. It's just, you run really hard and fast and you're feeling great and you're stimulating dopamine in your brain. Um, which can lead to addiction, food addiction, like we're addicted to cookies, we're addicted to cake um, because of that dopamine secretion. That's the only reason we eat all that. Try and get rid of it. Um, trade off, at first, trade off. I mean, all sugars are sugars. Fruit has fiber, so it won't, it will slow the uptake of sugar into your system not spike insulin levels, which will cause your feel your emotions. You just crash. You know, you eat a box of cookies, you're spiking your insulin levels, your energy is just crashing. So fruit is better than something without fiber. You know, on the other hand, a lot of some people cannot eat fiber. So be careful if you're one of those that can't eat fiber. But but trading off something a healthier version of sugar for an unhealthy version of sugar and a healthy version of fat for, a, for an unhealthy version, like 
nuts or avocados instead of fried food. Um, fat makes food taste better. Getting rid of all those unhealthy foods, transferring the healthy foods, having a real balance. You need protein. Um, um, vegans, you know, there is a way to eat protein, you know, like um, um, peas are a huge form of healthy protein. Um, uh, lentils are a huge form of healthy protein. So even vegans can get enough protein for muscle building. You need to rebuild your muscle tissue. Um, all your muscle is just little filaments of single strands of protein molecules. That's what makes up your muscles. The, the submicroscopic muscle, the smallest element kind of looks like this, but six little filament strands that come together and pull apart. And there are billions of these and they're all protein. So you need to eat enough protein to rebuild the muscle because it's all protein. Protein in comes muscle. Um, so hopefully that's just, you know, in, in two second, five hour lecture um, <laughs> and uh, a five hour lecture. Hopefully that's kind of sums it up. No, that's a wonderful starting point. And that's basically, I mean, the basics of, of my question. So I appreciate it. Mm. That's great information. All right. So tip number six is cross training for runners. What is it and what do we need to do and how much of it to become a stronger runner, which you were alluding to earlier? Well, strength training. I think strength training needs to be almost the entire season. And here again, you're getting into problems with time is how much time do you have, you know, sprinters right after they do their workout, they'll go into the gym and do strength training because it's well for legs, mostly and core because it's all and arms too. our upper body. We use our upper body with our arms. You need to train all of it. But um, I think especially for anybody who has any risk of injury, um, strength and stretch are the first component to keep from getting injured um, shoes. Yeah, but I think that's kind of third on the list. Um, running form is critical to keep from getting injured, but strength and stretch is the top of my list. So those are critical things that you can be doing, especially strength training and stretching. Um, you know, e even just a few light weights, handheld weights at home can kind of do it. Um, there are a lot of movements that you can do at home that you don't need to be, you know, lunges and squats. And if you want to add weight, just hold something in your hand while you're doing lunges and squats when you build up to that strength. Hopefully that kind of in a nutshell answered that question um, real briefly. I'm glad to hear that we can do a lot of stuff at home without having it take too much extra time from our, from our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. strength training moves at home. Sure. Right. So let's move on to tip number seven. Tip number seven is finding a training plan. And when I wrote that down, I meant training plan can be a training plan online, can be a training group or a coach. Um, what are the benefits of those and which one do you think would be most beneficial? Yeah. Um, you know, like I said early on, I create the schedules on the LA Marathon website and I try and create a schedule for kind of everybody. But is it the best schedule for you, the individual? If you really want to get faster, if you really want a specific schedule that's designed for you, the individual, 
you know, if you have a meeting a long day on Tuesday and your schedule says, you know, builds to like eight miles on a Tuesday, well, do that. Just calendar scheduling alone needs to be individualized. You know, most I've always said um, the one size fits all schedule does not fit all. And for those it fits, it doesn't fit for long, you know, because you'll always get someone in your family will get sick and suddenly you got to take care of them. And just scheduling alone creates the need for even changes in a schedule. So, all right, you got a schedule, but you're still going to have to change it. What if your schedule, I know coaches will only give out schedules one per month, because what happens if you do a time trial, which is beneficial, like once a month, once every other month, do a time trial, maybe even a race, throw in a shorter, faster race to see what your ability level is. Um, If you're not getting faster, what's the point of following the schedule that you're on? If you're on the wrong path, you need to get on the right path. Something needs to change. Maybe you need more speed work. Maybe you need more long. Maybe you're training too fast. There is some element that you need to know about and get some kind of data on so you can change in order to develop and get faster, right? Because if the whole point of a training season is to develop fitness so you go farther faster, what good is it if you're not getting greater fitness? So every so often it's good to throw in a time trial, but also you need to be able to change your schedule. Anytime I've had an individual, I like to create the whole season just to have a game plan and everybody knows it's going to change. It's going to change a lot. Some people way more than others. Some people like every other week, every week, especially when you get to peak, Um, if you're feeling like your leg is about to fall off and you got like a really hard, long, high intensity workout the next day, you do not want to do that. So schedules need to be flexible, Um, not just for scheduling problems, but for your own fitness level ability. Um, So it's tough to say working with a coach has that benefit. Unfortunately, I am booked up. I, I, <laughs> I fear my fitness has fallen because I've been doing so much work lately. Last night, I was up to one in the morning just working on a map of the LA Marathon and elevation charts and all. But um, working with a coach does have its benefits. But even if you get an online freebie schedule, it's a value. But even my own on the LA Marathon website, Know that it needs to change. You need to alter it to your own benefit. Um, could you even do AM, PM if you had the time and your schedule online? Well, just divide all the easy runs, all the low heart rate aerobic runs can more or less be divided into two different runs. So do you need a single 20-mile run? Well, actually, after a while, you're, you have diminishing returns on the long run, in part because your heart rate's getting higher and higher and higher, and you're no longer working on fat because your your heart rate's too high. You're working too much on glycogen, your your glycolic system, as we call it, energy system. But um, you could divide that run into two runs. 
do 12 miles in the morning and eight miles at night. That's the way pro athletes do it. Do that all week long. You can divide those slow runs, what college students call them junk miles, because they're like, all right, we're going to do the stupid junk miles. Um, they're really easy, like comfortable miles. They call them conversational pace because you can talk like you and I are talking now or I'm talking now. Um, and um, that's that's uh, you, you can divide those into more runs if you have the time to do a morning and evening or whatever. Um, so you could take an online schedule and rework it yourself. You could flip Monday and Tuesday. Um, as long as your hard effort days, when you have a hard track run, threshold run, whatever, you don't want to start putting them together. You want like hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day, or hard day, day off. You know, you want to recover fully or partially at least from the run you've done the day before. If you have a long run on Saturday, you want Sunday to be an easier, shorter. You don't want to do a track workout on Sunday morning after, you know, a 20 miler on Saturday. I think we can all understand that one. Um, that's that's just a simple concept of moving things around. If you have to take an online schedule for free, great. There are a lot of great ones out there, mine included, but, but change them for your own individual self or get a coach to help you do that for you. Those are some trips, tips about creating schedules. Those are some great tips because I know a lot of people follow online programs and that's the hard part for us who are not educated about how coaching works or how your body works with those runs. So I appreciate those. So basically keep your, um, keep a couple of days if possible between your hard runs. And then if you need to skip a run, I guess you don't make it up. You just skip it. You could, you know, I'll tell you something interesting. Um, Meb Kovleski, when he was getting into his older 30s, I talked to his coach, Bob Larson lives not far from here. Um, and anyway, he said that basically what he did, I thought was absolutely brilliant, extremely insightful coach. That's why he was coaching one of the top athletes from the United States and the world. He won Boston, Meb, um, the guy he coached. When he got a little older in his late 30s, I don't want to say 30s are old, but, you know, he won Boston. I think what it was like 41 or something, you know, but what he did. So he had this huge base. He had been coaching him since college. He had this huge base of training since college of low intensity. Right. But the high intensity work, he was doing like 140 miles a week, this guy at peak. So the problem was the high intensity work wasn't allowing him to recover quick enough at, that he needed to, to reduce risk of injury and still get stronger. You know, you need to have recovery time to get stronger. You need to rebuild hormone levels. This is a key point. As you do more and more volume, your hormone levels come down and down and down. Hormones like human growth hormone rebuild muscle tissue. Right. So if your hormone levels are coming down, your ability to rebuild muscle tissue is decreased. So you need to taper down. You need to sleep. That's where you get the most hormones. You need to do less. So what Bob Larson did, instead of a seven day a week schedule, what he did is he expanded it to a 10 day a week schedule. So Meb was then doing 140 miles in 10 days 
And every, excuse me, it was nine day schedule, nine days. So every third day was a high intensity, like track workout or threshold run or, and Bob Larson is all about threshold runs. He claimed that his kids always got faster because of the threshold runs, the high intensity, longer effort. The threshold runs for him were like the golden nugget, if you want, you know, but it's got to be a balance because Meb wasn't doing more than 20% of high intensity runs. And in fact, because they expanded the week to nine days, he was actually kind of doing less. So there are things like that. I thought that was such genius on the part of Bob Larson um, to creatively come up with this idea for Meb. And it won him the Boston Marathon. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, that that's a great way of working around having that fatigue and still being able to recover properly in order to continue running. That's, um, I wish I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, all right, David. So let me go into our last tip for qualifying for Boston. And that's obviously we can do everything we can before the marathon, but then when it comes to the marathon day, we have to think about our pacing. So what is a tip that you have for our runners about pacing for this race? Right. Well, first you have to figure out what is your marathon race pace because far too well. And then you kind of need to develop a plan mile by mile based on elevation. You know, I'm working on this, these elevation charts for pacing the LA marathon and pretty much at no time are they at their average marathon race pace. Cause as the Hills go up, you need to slow your pace. It's all about heart rate. You want to sustain You know, I love the new power meters that are coming out on the market because you want to sustain the same power, right? If you're going up a hill, that means slower, but the same power output. You know, for years, we talk about run by feel. Well, it's the same thing. You're running at the same power level. When you're going up a hill, you're slowing it down. So you're running, you're using the same energy output, same more or less heart rate. On the other hand, heart rate by itself are a problem because your heart rate's going to go up and up and up and up and up with dehydration and fatigue. So that isn't the perfect, you know, it's good. It's good. You want to keep your heart rate low to a point. And then the last calculate on a marathon. This is important. We all have about 80 to 90 minutes of glycogen. We have that 80, 90 minutes before you run out of glycogen. So the problem is, is if you're going up the hill um, and you're going up the hill at the beginning of the race, biggest mistake most people make, they got tons of glycogen, tons of energy. They're going up that hill way too fast, right? So they're depleting glycogen. So you got 80, 90 minutes of that. Well, no human has ever finished a marathon in 80, 90 minutes. So you need to utilize fat. You can't just run it at a 5K pace, right? So you got to listen to your breathing. And if you can calculate where approximately you will be on a course, especially if you're a beginner, and I've never done this but marathon before, um, calculate where you're at on the course with about 80 to 90 minutes to go. Before that 80 to 90 minute period, you're in the red zone. You're in the warning, danger, be careful, 
keep my eye on your heart rate. See, be very focused on your breathing rate. Your breathing rate is indicative of your heart rate. You don't need a heart rate monitor if you're focused on your breathing. Your heart, your breathing rate goes up with your heart rate. If your breathing's too high, if it feels like you're running a 5K, you are. You're going way too fast. Now, it may just be because it's too warm out. It may be just because you're running up a hill. But that is, those are factors to take into consideration, especially until you get to that 80, 90 minutes to go window. When you got 80 to 90 minutes left in your race, um, then if you're feeling great, go for it. Forget, forget your average marathon race pace. If you got it, use it. If you don't, thank yourself for holding back, right? Because you would have been hitting the wall. There's no reason to hit the wall unless you're not taking in enough nutrition. I'll mention that in a minute. Or you're going too fast and you're utilizing too much glycogen at too high a heart rate, right? Lower the heart rate, use more fat. We have an abundant, everybody, I don't care how skinny you are, we all have an abundance of fat to get through a marathon um, at low heart rate. Um, but um, the higher your heart rate, the, the more you're going to utilize that glycogen. Um, think 80 to 90 minutes to go as a safe zone. Before that, uh-uh, you're in trouble. You're in the red zone. From the start of your race to where you have 80 to 90 minutes left in your race, all red zone. You're, that's focus on don't screw it up. Lower your heart rate. Lower your breathing rate. That helps a lot when we think about the pacing. Thank you so much. There's um, some great tips and amazing information. Too bad you're not taking new clients. Um, but if people do want to get in touch with you, how can they? Oh, um, you could send me an email, David L, D-A-V-I-D-L, at McCourtFoundation.org. That's M-C-C-O-U-R-T foundation, F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N, McCourt Foundation, all one word, dot org, O-R-G. Thank you, David, so much. I appreciate your insight and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on soon with another new topic because you are a wealth of information. You got it. We'll talk to you soon. You take time. You want to come run with us. Feel free to just stop by. Thank you. We'll do. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Take care. Thanks. Bye. 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 All right. Thank you, David, so much for coming on and sharing these tips with us. And Ryan, you did really great on guessing most of those tips. And as promised, we're going to give you a little summary of what these tips were. Number one was setting realistic expectations and goals. Number two, we talked about commitment, making that commitment, making sure that you basically can cover weight that time. Number three, to run slow to be faster. Number four, Tips on what to consider when you're finding that PRBQ course. Number five, nutrition. Number six, the importance of cross-training. Number seven, coming up with a game plan. And that means either having a coach or getting a training plan from online. And number eight, how to pace and execute on race day. I think it's good to have, you know, a checklist. Those are tips are kind of like a checklist too, where you can kind of put the pieces together to help improve. 
Yeah, so let us know if you guys think these tips were helpful and feel free to definitely share your success stories with us. We love hearing from our community and other runners and watching them get better faster and feel better about themselves in general. So please reach out. We're on Instagram at at Running Podcast or you can join our Facebook community, which is the Running With Friends community. And that's it. You got anything else, Ryan? should share success, but also failures, because sometimes those are interesting, too, and can people can learn from them. Very true. Don't share your success only. Tell us how <laughs> you got there. Share your experiences. That's better. I agree. All right. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running. <laughs>